You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the Wall Street bombing. Welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm super excited to be back here with all of you today. Um, last week was kind of rough. <laughs> um, if you were able to listen to both of the episodes um, because you're a Patreon or a patron, um, then you had to listen to th- two cases about familicide, which I know is not always the... <laughs> best conversation topic. Um, So I definitely wouldn't say that we're going to be doing anything easy today. However, uh, it is another old timey case, which I feel like is just a lot easier for me to process because I'm like, okay, well, this happened in 1920. And so the chances that these people would still be alive today was probably very slim. And so I don't know, for some reason that always like helps me feel a little bit better when I cover these cases. Um, But it is a bombing. So that's very shocking. Um, I feel like I've been thinking about bombings a lot lately. Um, Not because I have any plans. (laughs) So hopefully I never get called uh, to testify because I'm pretty sure that they would use that sound clip out of context and I would probably go to jail. (laughs) But no, I've actually um, been watching the multi- episode series on the Unabomber that's on Netflix. Um, I had always heard about the Unabomber and like I knew who he was kind of, but I didn't really know like all of the details. And if I'm going to be honest with you, um, even after watching the like little multi-series or multi-episode series, I still honestly can't say that I actually like understand his vision, his, um, like his purpose in doing all of that. Um, he is like an intellectual on to like the nth degree. (laughs) Um, and so his reasoning for, you know, harming all those people was a little bit over my head. Um, it had to do with like systems and he was just so, he didn't want to be part of the system, but I'm like, you kind of have to be part of the system. And even when he was like out in Montana in his very secluded cabin with other people who were like-minded who also like wanted to be secluded. Like he would get so upset with people when he ran into them. And I was just like, dude, I don't think that you're anti-system. I don't think that you're anti-technology. I honestly just think that you're anti-person because there was this one instance in the documentary when, um, he apparently ran into one of his neighbors and I used the term neighbors very loosely because people were like five to 10 miles away from each other. Um, but he was like going on this walk through the woods around his cabin and he ran into his neighbor's wife and daughter and him and this neighbor like kind of clashed because the neighbor had some sort of mill that would like make loud sounds. And for some reason, you know, that's that, that didn't help him forget that he wasn't part of a system. Apparently him hearing that mill made him feel like he was very much part of a system. Anyway, so this guy, his neighbor, um, had gotten some horses and they had kind of like made this 
trail and kind of like ripped up some grass. So the man asked his wife and his daughter if they would go and sprinkle some grass seed to kind of like replenish that grass. Um, And then they were going to try and figure something else out because they didn't want to like disturb the earth. Um, But apparently the Unabomber ran into these two um, and he like the little girl like ran off and like the woman couldn't find her. And then when she finally did find her, um, she was with the Unabomber and the Unabomber had like a gun to her head. And I'm just like, dude, like this doesn't have anything to do with the system. This doesn't have to do with technology. Like these people are not using computers to run their mill. Like they're literally using horses and like a drawn carriage. So I don't like, I like the, the thing that he's serving up, like I'm not, I'm not believing it. I just feel like he just like came up with something to, you know, be like an intellectual, but I feel like he really just hated people. And if you're going to hate people, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Like, I hate a lot of people, too, (laughs) especially when I am doing research for these podcasts. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hate that person that killed all those people. But, like, I can admit that I'm like, yeah, I just hate some people. They're really annoying and people are annoying sometimes. Sometimes they're annoying all the time. But I'm just going to, like, call it for what it is and that, like, I'm annoyed by people. I'm not just going to be like, oh, I actually hate everyone, but I'm going to like give this other roundabout reason for why I'm bombing people. Also, like his victim list didn't make any sense whatsoever because he would like bomb like a psychologist at a college and and, like a computer systems person at another college. I'm like, This is where, like, my OCD comes in, you guys, and I'm just like, if you're going to do this elaborate thing, can you at least make it make sense? Because if not, like, it just really irks me. (laughs) And I know that that sounds horrible because I'm, I also hate him because he, like, hurt people and also, like, killed some people, but I'm also just like, can your manifesto, like, at least make sense? But I guess that people that make sense wouldn't do this kind of thing, so... I don't know. My OCD is like trying to like ascribe a meaning to something that is meaningless. It's trying to make sense of nonsense. I don't know. Maybe you guys have been there too. I don't know. Let me know (laughs) if you've ever like tried to. I mean, it really does make sense. Like we try to make sense of this madness that we talk about every week. But the truth of the matter is like there is no reason. There is no reason that would be good enough to do this, these kind of things. And that's why they're not normal. And that's why we talk about them on the podcast. (laughs) So anyways, that's just kind of my Unabomber rant. Um, And then also while I was doing my research for the Lawson family murders case last week, um, I think because it was a 1920s case, I started getting like a lot of um, suggested like you may also like, and I found this case and it's the Wall Street bombing. And you can think that I'm stupid or whatever or uneducated, uh, but I actually didn't even know that Wall Street had been bombed. And so this happened in 1920, so I do have the excuse of not being alive. Um, but I just think that, like, it's something that I, I'm, i like, wondering, like, should I know about this? Like, did we talk about this at school? I don't think that we ever did. And I actually grew up in New York, so I'm like, this is a New York piece of history. Like, I feel like if I was going to learn it anywhere, that's where I would have learned it. So... Uh, if you were supposed to teach me and you are, are one of my high school teachers listening to this, uh, for shame, 
because I am just learning about it now as a 32-year-old woman, and that is embarrassing. Um, but if you are feeling the same like me and you are today years old when you learned that there was a 1920 Wall Street bombing, do not fret. I am here to help you. Um, I'm here to fill you in on all the details. So um, I do want to preface this by saying that it's going to be kind of a shorter episode. Um, this week has just been really crazy. I've been doing like lots of volunteer things. And it was also like the very first week that my kids have had school like every day of the week, which honestly hasn't happened in a long time. So like the stars finally aligned and they've been in school and I'm just like, hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, but that being said, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode just because I didn't have as much time as I usually have to uh, do these cases. Um, but instead of just like being like, oh, I don't have any time to do like a proper case and then I just like skip a week. I just like don't want to do that because I feel like if I skip one week, then you can easily skip another week. Um, I just wanted to do kind of like a mini episode for you. And we'll actually see how many it is because I tend to talk a lot. So it might actually not be so many after all. Um, before we do get started, though, I do need to do a little bit of housekeeping, housekeeping, housekeeping. Um, okay, so if you're not already following me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved, for shame. Like, seriously, I have 104 episodes now. You've had 104 weeks to follow me on Instagram. What are you doing with your life? Okay. I'm going to give you a hall pass just because I didn't know about this case. So maybe you didn't know about the Instagram. Um, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but please don't make me regret this. <laughs> just follow me on Instagram, please. Okay. Also, if you didn't know, we have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. And it's recently had a makeover. Yeah, she was like kind of, you know, princess diaring it up, kind of nerdy. Um, but we swooped in and we took off the glasses and we just made her real cute. So if you want to go over there, um, you can listen to all 104 episodes. You can do a proper binge of those. Or you can look at my new about me page if you're new here and you want to know like who is this chick and what is she all about. You can go there. Um, I also have a little store. We're only selling two things, but we are selling vinyl stickers that you can put on your water bottle. I have one on my toaster. Um... And it's just really, really cute. And then I also have a pre-order of t-shirts with my new logo. So if you're interested in purchasing a t-shirt, um, I will be placing an order on March 31st. So you can get your order in now and then you will receive them sometime in the month of April. And if you want a shirt, you really, really should go and order it on the site because after March 31st, I will not be placing another t-shirt order until June 30th. So if you don't want to have to wait until mid-summer to wear a shirt and you like are hoping to wear the shirt by like Memorial Day <laughs> or Mother's Day, uh, you should probably go on my website and order that t-shirt right now. Okay. Um, what else? What else was else? Oh, I also have a Patreon. I will link it in the show notes. Basically, I have um, three tiers. There's a $1, a $3, and a $5. And also, if you feel so inclined and you just want to do like a one-time donation because you're not like a fan of like those subscription things, you can totally do that too. 
Um, so yeah, I won't get too into like all the tiers and like what they're named and all those kind of things. Cause I just feel like it does take up a lot of time, but if you are interested in it, just know that I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can do a little bit of research and reading for you if your heart so desires. Um, I think that that's everything. So without further ado, let's talk about the Wall Street bombing. It was noon on Wall Street on Thursday, September 16th, 1920, and unbeknownst to a lunchtime crowd passing through Wall Street, there was a horse-drawn wagon filled to the brim with 100 pounds of dynamite and 500 pounds of heavy cast iron sash weights. This horse-drawn wagon was parked right across the street from the headquarters of the J.P. Morgan & Co. Bank at 23 Wall Street. This bomb, (laughs) this like bomb made out of a horse-drawn wagon, exploded in a timer-set detonation, sending the weights tearing and ripping through the air. The horse and wagon were blasted into smithereens, but the driver of that wagon was believed to have left the vehicle and escaped as no remains were found in the wagon. The 40 fatalities were mostly young people who worked as messengers, stenographers, clerks, and brokers. Many of the wounded suffered severe injuries. The bomb caused more than $2 million in property damage. And when I say $2 million, I'm talking 1920. So if you were to adjust that for inflation, it would be about $27, $28 million today. And this bomb destroyed most of the interior space of the J.P. Morgan building. Within one minute of the explosion, William H. Remick, who was president of the New York Stock Exchange at the time, he decided to suspend trading in order to prevent a panic. And every single time, (laughs) every single time I read the word or see the word or say the word panic, all I can think about is if you guys watch Nailed It on Netflix, then you may remember that Nicole Byer in this one episode, she like started yelling like panic and then like rolled off the table and then like rolled into the treats closet. (laughs) And there are so many times when I do that in my life, like I'm like, okay, everybody, let's not panic. It's a panic. Anyways, so that's just whatever I think of when I see or say the word panic. Okay. So, this is what happens. I have squirrel brain. Okay, so he suspended it in order to prevent a panic, and then outside, rescuers worked feverishly to transport the wounded to the hospital. James Saul, a 17-year-old messenger, commandeered a parked car and transported 30 injured people to an area hospital. Oh my gosh, James Saul, you're probably not alive, sir, but... Thank you for your service and thank you so much for what you did. Uh, Police officers rushed to the scene, performed first aid, and appropriated all nearby automobiles as emergency transport vehicles. So they were just like stopping random people driving by with cars and being like, hey, by the way, we're commandeering your car because we're trying to get all these injured people to the hospital. And part of me is like, go you guys. But and then another part of me is like, um, if that were me, I'd be I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I really want you to use my car to like save people. But please don't get blood on it. (laughs) I don't know. See, I just my mind is just real jacked up. Okay, so the Justice Department's Bureau of Investigation, or the BOI, 
um, did not immediately conclude that the bomb was an act of terrorism. Investigators were puzzled by the number of innocent people killed and the lack of a specific target, other than buildings that suffered relatively superficial non-structural damage. Exploring the possibility of a potential accident, police contacted businesses that sold and transported explosives. By 3.30 p.m., the Board of Governors of the NYSE had met and decided to open for business the next day. If I were working on Wall Street during that time, I would have been like, yeah, (laughs) I think I'm sick. Uh, Crews cleaned up the area overnight to allow for normal business operations, but in so doing, they destroyed physical evidence that may have helped police investigators solve the crime. Okay, I'll give you a pass. This is the 1920s, and you guys didn't really know anything about DNA and all that sorts of things. So I guess I'll give you a pass, but it's probably because of that why we're talking about it today, because it's an unsolved crime. Um, The Sons of the American Revolution had previously scheduled a patriotic rally for the day after, so it would have been September 17th, to celebrate Constitution Day at exactly the same intersection. On September 17th, thousands of people attended the rally in defiance of the previous day's attacks, basically sticking it to whoever had made that bomb and be like, you know what, you can do a bomb, but we're not scared, we'll prevail. The New York assistant district attorney noted that the timing, location, and method of delivery all pointed to Wall Street and J.P. Morgan as the targets of the bomb, suggesting in turn that it was planted by radical opponents of capitalism, such as the Bolsheviks, anarchists, communists, or militant socialists. Investigators soon focused on radical groups opposed to U.S. financial and governmental institutions and known to use bombs as a mean of violent reprisal. Often through the Gilded Age, radical ideology and violence was used as a form of protest by many groups to initiate change. When simple protests were not enough, these extremists would resort to ruthless measures to be heard. Although the violence proved to be detrimental to their overall cause because people were just going to be like, oh, really? You bombed us? Now we're definitely not going to give you what you wanted. Um, Many historians saw that this was a clear point of radical behavior aimed at facilitating transformation throughout the classes. Officials eventually blamed anarchists and communists for the Wall Street bombing. The Washington Post called the attack an act of war. The bombing stimulated renewed efforts by police and federal investigators to track the activities and movements of foreign radicals. Public demands to track down the perpetrators led to an expanded role for the BOI, including the Bureau's General Intelligence Division, headed by J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, The New York City Police Department also pushed to form a special or secret police to monitor radical elements in the city. Um, On September 17th, the BOI released the contents of flyers found in a post office box in the Wall Street area just before the explosion. Printed in red ink on white paper, it said, quote, Remember, we will not tolerate any longer. Free the political prisoners or it will be sure death for all of you, end quote. At the bottom was, quote, American anarchist fighters, end quote. The BOI quickly decided that the fire eliminated the possibility of an accidental explosion. Yeah, that can kind of take it off the list real quick once you start finding (laughs) little ransom letters or warning letters. 
Uh, William J. Flynn, director of the BOI, suggested that the flyers were similar to those found at the June 1919 anarchist bombings. Okay, so the investigation. The BOI investigation stalled when none of the victims turned out to be the driver of the wagon. I think that they were kind of hoping that because it was such a powerful explosion that the person who was responsible for at least driving the wagon there would have, you know, experienced some sort of injury. Though the horse was newly shod, investigators could not locate the stable responsible for the work. When the blacksmith was located in October, he could offer the police little to no information. Investigators questioned tennis champion Edwin Fisher, who had sent warning postcards to friends, telling them to leave the area before September 16th. Hmm? What? He told police he had received the information through the air, just, you know, through the grapevine, a little birdie told him. Yeah, I'm not believing it, Edwin. Um, they found Fisher made a regular habit of issuing such warnings and had him committed to the Amityville Asylum, where he was diagnosed as insane but harmless, (laughs) which I feel like could be like the uh, title of my biography. (laughs) Insane, but I mean, overall, pretty harmless. Uh, Meanwhile, Robert W. Wood helped to reconstruct the bomb mechanism, which I think is actually pretty impressive for 1920. The BOI and local police investigated the case for over three years without any success. Occasional arrests garnered headlines, but each time they failed to support any, like, real indictment. Most of the initial investigation focused on anarchists and communists, such as the Galleonist group, which I hope I'm saying right, whom authorities believed were involved in the 1919 bombing. During President Warren G. Harding's administration, officials evaluated the Soviets and the Communist Party as possible masterminds of the Wall Street bombing. In 1944, so this is 24 years later, the FBI successor to the BOI investigated again. So just kind of unpacked the cold case. Let's work on it again. It concluded that its agents had explored many radical groups, such as the Union of Russian Workers, the IWW, communists, etc. And from the result of the investigations to date, it would appear that none of the aforementioned organizations had any hand in the matter and that the explosion was the work of either Italian anarchists or Italian terrorists. Because I don't know why, but for some reason in in New York, I've heard this a lot and there's been like plays like Gangs in New York that they really like harp on Italians. And I'm like, hello, the Italians gave us pizza. They gave us cannolis. And it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. I don't know. I don't get it, you guys. Like we're all from the same planet. Can't we just like play nice? Seriously. Okay, one Galleonist in particular, Italian anarchist Mario Buda. Mario? Seriously? Are you kidding me? It's a me, Mario. An associate of Sacco and Vanzetti and the owner of a car which led to the arrest of the latter for a separate robbery and murder is alleged by some historians, including Paul Average, to be the man most likely to have planted the bomb. Average and other historians theorize that Mario Buda acted in some in revenge for the arrest and indictment of Sacco and Vizzetti. So that could explain that letter written in red, like, please release them. Buddha's involvement as the Wall Street bomb maker was confirmed by statements made by his nephew, Frank Maffi, and fellow anarchist Charles Pogge, who interviewed Buddha in 
I don't, I'm going to mess this up. Savant, Savignano Sol Rebicone <laughs> in 1955. Buddha at the time known by the alias of Mike Boda. So he kind of dropped the Mario. Smart choice. Had eluded authorities. We don't want to taint the name Mario, you guys, because Mario's coming out soon and I'm super stoked and I would be super mad if every single time I saw cute little Mario's face, I thought about this douchebag. Anyways, he had eluded authorities at the time of the Sacco and Vanzetti arrest and was experienced in the use of dynamite and other explosives. So it's kind of like his calling card. Um, he was known to use sash weights as shrapnel in his time bombs and is believed to have constructed several of the largest package bombs for the Gallianists. So it's all painting a pretty picture. And that picture is a freaking Mario slash Mike Boda. Okay, these included the... Milwaukee Police Department bombing, which was a large black powder bomb that killed nine policemen in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the time of the bombing. Um, but he was neither arrested nor questioned by the police for this bombing. They just kind of like they didn't have any proof, but they just kind of like had their spidey senses tingling. After leaving New York, Buddha resumed the use of his real name in order to secure a passport from the Italian vice consul and then promptly sailed for Naples. Okay, you guys. I think that we just solved this case because <laughs> it's all making a lot of sense. He was there. He was mad because his friends got arrested. He's known for making bombs using sash weights and shrapnel. Like, and then he changes his name after he moves out of New York. And then he like quickly makes his way back to Naples. I mean, who wouldn't want to go back to Naples for that, like, beautiful scenery and delicious pasta? But, like, I think it's more than that. I think that this is not a coincidence, you guys. I think that he may have been responsible. Like, if I had to put a bet, I'd say, like, 95% confident that he's the one that was responsible. By November, he was back in his native Italy, never to return the United States ever again. You guys, I don't think these are coincidences. Uh, Galliness still in the U.S. Con continued the bombing and assassination campaign for another 12 years. Like, that's quite a chip on your shoulder, you guys. Culminating in a 1932 bomb attack targeting Webster Thayer, the presiding judge in the Sacco and Vanzetti trial. Thayer, who survived the ensuing blast that destroyed his house and injured his wife and housekeeper, moved his residence to his club for the last year and a half of his life, where he was guarded 24 hours a day. Um, some might say that that's an overreaction, but I, if I had the resources, I would most certainly do that. Yeah, for sure. If I like thought somebody tried to kill me with a bomb, you can bet your freaking butt that I'd be like, yeah, no, I think I'm going to have a security guard 24-7 for the rest of my life. Okay, the bombing has inspired several books, notably The Day Wall Street Exploded by Beverly Gage, The Death Instinct by Jed Rubenfeld, and Buddha's Wagon, A Brief History of the Car Bomb. <laughs> um, let's see, there's also... The bombing was in the closing scene of a film. It was called No God, No Master. And black metal band Outer Darkness released a song, and it's actually about this case, and it's called Whiskered Men with Bombs. And so I am for sure going to be listening to that song. I want to hear it. And plus, I just love the title, Whiskered Men. That's amazing. Okay, so yeah, like even though this case is like huge and has been 
had books written about it and it's been featured in film and there's songs about it. Like, how come I never learned about it in school? Mr. Uh, what, were, where was my, what was my history teacher's name? Mr. Snyder and, oh my gosh, what was his other name? Basically, just Mr. Snyder. How, why did you do me so dirty? Like, why did you never tell me about this? You taught me so many things that were so boring and you never taught me this. And I find that I'm taking it personally, basically. Okay, so as we kind of talked about already, this bombing was never solved. The blast killed 30 people immediately. And then another 10 died later of wounds sustained in the blast. There were 143 people who were seriously injured. And the total number of injured was in the hundreds. The bombing was never solved, although as we discussed Investigators and historians believe it was carried out by Gallianists, and I feel like there's a really good case for this Italian anarchist group, these Gallianists, to definitely be responsible. Like they were known at the time to have done similar bombs with similar trademarks and similar signature marks, and so I feel like even though it's an unsolved crime because like we can't prove it, I think just using common sense alone we can kind of like put together the pieces it really was though like a super huge deal back then not only because it was a bomb but because um the wall street bomb killed more people than the 1910 bombing of the los angeles time which was the deadliest act of terrorism on u.s soil up to that point so if you were living in new york especially if you worked on wall street this is going to be really significant for you because This happened in 1920, and it topped the last deadliest act of terrorism on U.S. soil. So, yeah, I would be curious to see if a lot of people who worked on Wall Street, like, you know, they kind of, like, gave it a week. They kind of, like, let other people be guinea pigs and figure out if another repeat attack was going to be done um, before heading back to work. Um. And I certainly would expect that this definitely affected, you know, Wall Street and all the stock market numbers. Um, I'm guessing that those all tanked. Um, We didn't experience the Great Depression until another, like, 12 years. But I would say that there's probably a big drop that day because I feel like any time that there's uncertainty in the world it goes down. And this was real close to home. So I'm sure that those numbers went down. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining me today and talking about the Wall Street bombing. I hope that if you didn't know about this, that you also curse the name of your social studies teachers who just decided not to teach this very interesting subject matter and decided to teach us about, I don't know, what could they have taught us about instead of this? I don't know like pioneers or something. (laughs) Yeah, so we get it. They walked and they walked and they walked and they walked and stuff. Um, But like, this is interesting. This is more like Mission Impossible, Born Identity. Like This is the kind of things that help pique the interest of the adolescent mind. Um, But it's certainly possible that they didn't want to discuss this and for a very specific reason, and that would be to not get teenagers interested in bombs and creating bombs. So if that's their reasoning, then I guess I can give them a free pass. I get it. Um, Speaking of which, (laughs) this is not funny. I don't even know why I'm laughing. But when I was in, I want to say second or third grade, and if any of my friends are listening that 
went to my elementary school and were in Mrs. Rogers' class. Um, or maybe, yeah, I think it was either Mrs. Rogers' class or Miss Salamone's class. Holla at you guys if you're listening. Um, we had my very first experience with a bomb threat. And um, I was like seven or eight. I had no idea what a bomb was. All I knew is that when a bomb threat was called, we got to leave the school and go to this little church that was down the street. And so me being ignorant and naive and seven, I was just like, wow, these bomb things are super cool because we don't have to do work and we get to go on a walk and then we get to go to this church and there's little volunteers at the church and they give us cookies and they give us juice. So me and like four or five of my friends <laughs> decided to come up with this club and we named it the Bomb Club because, again, we're idiots and we're seven and we have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so we would meet and we'd have like these secret meetings and we would tell people like we're having a secret bomb club and you're not allowed to be you're not invited and blah, blah, blah. But apparently there were second or third graders, seven and eight year olds who were a lot smarter than me. And they were fully aware of what bomb threats actually were, not just like a fun little impromptu field trip, but like actually something dangerous. And so when we were being douches and telling people that they couldn't be part of our bomb club or a bomb squad, I can't remember what we called it. Um, they told the teacher <laughs> and I remember the teacher walking me and like three or four or five of my friends down to the principal's office, Mrs. Williams, bless your heart. Um, and I remember them like taking us into the room. They were just very serious, very like stoic. And they were just like, children, we have been made aware that you two, or that you guys have <laughs> made a bomb squad or a bomb club and we need to talk about this. And me and my friends were like, yeah, okay, sure. And they're like, what do you think a bomb is? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like the mastermind of this whole bomb squad. So all of my friends were like looking at me like, yeah, what is a bomb? And I was just like, I don't really know what a bomb is, but it means that we get to go on a walk and eat cookies and drink juice. And then all of the teacher, like my teacher and the principal were like, I could see that they had like a visible sigh of relief and they were just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know what they thought. Like, I don't know if they thought that maybe like me and my friends were like trying to make pipe bombs with like pixie sticks or something, but they seemed very relieved to find out that um, we were not in the, our bomb's mission was not to like create bombs or to like fake call and say like there's a bomb in the school and that we just were like in it for the free cookies and juice. So anyways, that's just like a fun little fact and a fun little story about me. Um, you guys see, I've always been this dumb. <laughs> I've always been this dumb and ignorant to uh, political stuff and the world. So that's why I do so much research so that I will not be an idiot <laughs> in my social circles. Um, I'm not really sure if it's working though. Okay, so I just looked at the time. And even though I said that this was going to be a mini episode, I actually took about 37 minutes. And that is usually how long my episodes are. I feel like they're usually between 30 and 45 minutes. So uh, I'm going to take away my apology that I 
issued at the beginning of this episode when I said, I'm sorry, but this is going to be a mini sode. And I'm not sorry because it wasn't a mini episode. So there. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, let me know on my Instagram your thoughts, theories, opinions. Um, who do you think was responsible for the Wall Street bombing? I'm also curious, like, did you know about the Wall Street bombing before I told you about it today? Because I swear I've never heard about this anywhere. And this is like huge. I feel like it should be, there should be a documentary on Netflix about this. So let me know if you were today years old when you learned about this Wall Street bombing. Um, you can also DM me a case suggestion on Instagram. You can just send me like a fun little note, fun little note of encouragement. If you thought my hair looked good in the video, that would be nice to know. <laughs> Honestly, like I just want to communicate with you people because you guys are the best. Um... I also have a website, www.mysterystillunsolved. Um, if any of these platforms that you normally listen to podcasts on are ever down, I know that sometimes Apple Podcasts and Spotify can have some issues. Do not fret. You can always listen to my episodes on my site, www.mysterystillunsolved. And right now we have 104. I'm super excited about that. Um, and then don't forget to click on the show notes if you're interested in the Patreon program. Um, of course, no pressure, only if you feel so inclined to do so. And then if you want one of those merch, one of those stickers, one of those shirts, head on over to my website and you can pick one up for yourself. And I actually have the stickers now. They're like in my drawer at home. So if you order one of those, you will not have to wait until April. I will just pop it in the mail for you like today. So I'm super excited to be here with you guys next week. Um, do you want to know how you can better support this podcast? Of course you do. I kind of already told you a little bit because it got ahead of myself because <laughs> I was just super stoked that this wasn't a mini episode. Um, but the best way to like, there's two ways to best support my podcast. And the first one is obviously like word of mouth. So, you know, friend and family recommendations, but you know, when I say friend and family, I don't want you to like get pigeonholed. I don't want you to have like those blinders on your head like those horses have. Like you can tell your pilot, you can tell your flight attendant, you can tell your rock climbing coach, you can tell your PTA people, you can tell your principal, you can tell the secretary at your school. They might think that you're weird and they might put you on a list, but you can tell them about it for sure. Um, maybe if you like, don't want the PDA to ask you to volunteer for something, like just be like, oh, actually I can't. I'm too busy listening to my very morbid mystery still unsolved podcast. And they'll be like, yeesh, yikes, never mind. We don't want your help. You're a weirdo. Um, so it could actually benefit you. Um, <laughs> I'm actually the PTA president right now. So that's why I'm laughing because <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly like asking people like, do you want to help? And then like nobody ever texts me back. I'm like super excited to not be the PTA president anymore because I feel like people will finally respond to my text messages. <laughs> um, but I swear I'm a cool one. I'm not like one of those ones that you saw on like bad moms. Like I'm not like a douche or at least I feel like I'm not a douche and I feel like we know each other. So I don't know. Maybe also let me know that in the comments. Do you think I'm a douche? Do I come off as a douche? I'm genuinely curious. The best way, of course, to support this podcast would be to join me next week. When together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?